I guess it was just something I figured out at a young age that this is where I fit in to the team and this is where I'm going to add the most value to the team. I was never a big scorer at all at any level. Um, I was never, you know, a Brian Leach type of defenseman. And I knew that and I was kind of, you know, pretty honest with myself. And then I knew, you know, I knew I could stop guys though. And I was always good at that. And, and then that became, you know, a source of pride for me. And so I wanted to be known as the guy that you trusted to shut down, you know, the Jason Cadolans of the world. That was the Toronto Maple Leafs first round draft pick, 15th overall in the 1995 entry draft, Jeff Ware. And you are listening to the Up My Hockey podcast with Jason Padolan. Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Padolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games but thought he was destined for a thousand. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there and welcome to the Up My Hockey podcast with Jason Padolan. If you are a first time listener, welcome to your first program. Awesome to have you here. I've been seeing the numbers increase, so I assume there is a few new listeners here. And if you are an all an old time listener, well, welcome back. Always awesome to have you. And uh, today we are going to be talking with Jeff Ware. Jeff Ware for the Toronto Maple Leaf fans that are in their, hmm, let's see, probably born in their 70s or 60s, maybe even 50s. If you're listening to this, you would remember Jeff Ware, uh, a 1995 first round pick of the Cliff Fletcher era, and uh, he was 15th overall. Uh, ended up playing World Juniors uh, for Mike Babcock, won a gold medal with that team in 1997, and uh, almost made the Toronto Maple Leafs out of camp uh, after after his draft year. So in the 1996-97 season, played 13 games for Toronto, uh, went back down to Oshawa, uh, had success there, won a championship actually in Oshawa, won the World Junior Championship that year, and then Jeff and I met uh, in... St. John's uh, after I got traded. So I joined, I joined where is he there? And unbeknownst to me, although I knew that he had knee surgery, uh, as we get to get on within the interview here, I had no idea how much it was affecting him and, and what he was going through. I, I do know that he was going through some stuff for sure. When, when I was there uh, playing with him, uh, there, there was some off ice, you know, stuff that he was, uh, he was for sure dealing with, but uh, never talked about it, never discussed it, didn't really know. And, and we get into it all here in this interview. And, um, you know, Jeff's just super open about everything that he, that he went through there. And, and, and we recognize, you know, in the, in the discussion that you're about to hear that it was a different time, you know, support levels were definitely different. You know, the, what would be called player development by NHL teams, uh, is vastly different than how it is today. Uh, the isolation factor of playing in St. John's, uh, you know, the, the lack of discussion and communication from Toronto at the time. Uh, all of this, you know, being a part of both of our experiences at the pro level and, and, and Jeff, you know, with all the spotlight that, that would come with being Toronto's first round pick, um, you know, to his own point, you know, he didn't do an amazing job of dealing with it and, and trying to deal with with a limited uh, physical 
facility, you know, while the mental pressures of, of just staying in the lineup and, and what was being asked of him on the ice and, and the, the, how to change his game and, and all these types of things, <laughs> there was a lot going on for a, for a 20-year-old um, young man. And uh, anyways, there's... You know, to this day, he says that it's still kind of one of those things that, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, has haunt, haunts him, you know, to be to be the first round pick of the Leafs that kind of never panned out. And then uh, we talk about the things that you can control as an athlete and the things that you can't and, um, you know, and finding perspective uh, after reflection and, and, you know, self-assessment and, and all these other words that we use during this um that you know Jeff is now in, in a good spot and, and and he's thankful for everything that happened but there was definitely times where where he wasn't you know like where where it didn't seem like things were working out and it didn't seem like life was fair and it didn't seem like uh you know things were as they should be and uh and yeah man life's life's life and and we all go through go, go through our things and um and this is really a story of of what could have been, I guess, in that scenario, you know, a, a high draft prospect from the OHL. He was fifth overall. He shares here and, you know, a world junior player and somebody they thought was going to be a hometown boy from Toronto that played in Toronto forever and, um, you know, ended up playing 15 games for them and then ended up getting six with Florida a little later on and uh, and then a knee kind of, you know, and ended his career. So, uh, for those of you who don't know Jeff as the hockey player, uh, you're going to find out a lot more about him here as, as a human. And, and uh, Jeff is uh, he's just a real good guy. Uh, very well-spoken, uh, very articulate, you know, pensive, thoughtful. Uh, I, think he, I think he does a great job sharing here and, uh, and gives you a little bit of an insight into what is actually going on at the highest levels as far as when it gets real. I mean, when you're playing for checks. Uh, when there's when there's pressure on the line, when you're supposed to have these expectations, personal and and ex uh, external, that uh, that it mounts and there's a lot going on. So, um, and at the end of the day, we're all just people too. Like that's the other thing, right? Like we we, we identify as being hockey players, but uh, but we're just people trying to make it trying to make it work. You know, trying to make it work out the best we can. And um, and back in our day, there wasn't much thought about how the person was making it work. It was just whether you were getting it done or not. Uh, so anyways, uh, without further ado, I, I really enjoyed this interview. This was a, a good, honest, heartfelt discussion with an old teammate um, and a really good guy. Uh, so I bring you my conversation with Jeff Ware. Welcome to the program, Mr. Jeff Ware. Hey, Jason. Good to be here. Hey man, it's been a long time. We had a little bit of chance to catch up, kind of on DM and just before I press record. But other than that, it has. Uh, I'm just looking at the stat sheet here, man. St. John's Maple Leafs, 1999, actually 1998, I think was the last time we actually played together. That's a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. I'm an old man now. Well, and I'm one year older than you, so watch your mouth there, sir. <laughs> <laughs> How's it been going, man? Like what? Uh, what do you have any hockey players yourself? I don't know any of the back that kind of stuff. Do you got any any boys playing? Yeah, I have a boy and a girl. Uh, my boy is uh, eleven, just turned, and my daughter's eight. Um, he's playing. Uh, we're we're in North Carolina right now, and he's playing rec hockey. So it's not too, uh, it, you know, it's there's not too much pressure. It's just for fun, and it's you know the caliber isn't the same as it is back you know home in Canada, but. 
you know, they're having a good time, which is right. fun. And then my daughter, she's doing some skating in the wintertime as well. So, uh, yeah, so we still have, a, you know, a little bit of uh, hockey in our lives, but it's not, not the same level as it was in the past. Yeah, yeah. Did, did that reconnect you back to the sport again, like that, that, you're, that he's playing? Yeah, it did. Like, after I quit uh, – well, not quit. After I, I retired because of my knee injuries – uh, that was 2002, and it was you know it was a tough transition for sure. Um, so, just for my mental state, I kind of had a you know pretty hard cut off in hockey, and I kind of walked away from it uh, for a number of years. And then you know after I had my son, he started to skate when we were living up in Toronto, and and you know just getting outside in the winter time and being on the you know the frozen ponds, you know the magic comes back, and so it's been fun. It's been it's been good to come back to the game. Right. Yeah, no, I'm super thankful to my boys too. I have three, um, geez, 13, 12 and 10 now. And, um, and they're all players, uh, you know, and want to be players like that's, you know, like they're kind of little cutouts of me, right? Like that's what they all think that they want to do. And they want to be hockey players when they, when they grow up and get older and, and their involvement in the sport like really brought me back into hockey. And I wouldn't be, I, mean, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you right now if they didn't exist because I was, you know, I, 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 I cut ties at 30, right. When I was done and I was happy, I, mean, I was, I was happily moving forward and moving on with, with life and, and, uh, how things go. And, and then, yeah, they, they, they wanted to start playing of, of no push by me. Uh, like mom wanted us, to, their mother wanted us to be a hawk, a skiing family. Right. So that, that didn't go very well. I, I knew like we tried hard too, right? Like we, we tried pretty hard. We have a ski hill up here locally. And there was just one day, like you couldn't have a more gorgeous day like for skiing right like blue sky the sun was coming down it was you know it was probably like minus three so it wasn't cold in the chair left the snow was great and we're on like our second run and uh and the boys are like when are we gonna finish this so we can go to the pond right like they <laughs> wanted to go skate and it was like this is just like so hard to try and make happen so like we yeah. were destined to be a hockey family but yeah i mean we, we and then we got back into it and it's been a heck of a lot of fun like from a new perspective right like a new uh, just a whole new way to deal with it, right? When you're not doing it yourself. Yeah, I think um, you know. Again, I'm I'm fairly removed from the game, but from my, my sense is that it's definitely a healthier environment than it was back in our days in terms of um, you know a focus on you know like mindset, like you know stuff you're doing, uh, you know taking care of your body a lot better. I think the game's more exciting overall than in the past and so you know those are all like really positive things and i think also you know there's more of a focus on balance which i'm a big proponent of and, you know if you're not playing hockey you should kind of you know put that aside and you know go to the movies or go play lacrosse or basketball or soccer or um, you know take a cooking class or or uh, you know do your homework but you know a little more balance i think is healthy so uh those seem like they're like you know positive improvements for the game yeah, I mean, I guess it's like totally where you're at, right? Because it can be just as maniacal and crazy, maybe even more so, to be honest. Like at a younger age, like I remember me growing up, and I mean, potentially it was the same experience for you, you know, being such a high draft pick. Like, I mean, I was probably one of, if not the best 13-year-old in Western Canada, and there was no spring hockey. I didn't, you know, it wasn't, I, was, I wasn't on the ice every day, you know, like I was playing other sports. Like yeah. there, it was at that time in our lives, like it was much more balanced. Whereas now these kids are in, uh, in private hockey leagues and in hockey academies at that age and skating every day and not playing any other sports. And, you know, so 
Um, I, I think the holistic development of the athlete is probably a little bit better. Like to your point, you know, like as far as, you know, nutrition, we're mindful of kids are doing yoga now and, you know, they're talking about meditation and, and mindset is a, a topic that you can actually discuss. Whereas in our day, that word probably didn't even exist. Right. So as far as that goes, I do think it's a little bit more balanced, but I think it's actually taken maybe a couple steps backwards when it comes to balance uh, of the person, right. Or of the athlete, because it seems like it's almost like a 12 month a year thing for these guys now, if they want it to be and at a super young age. Uh, yeah. Well, that shows, you know, how, how far removed I am and, and, uh, you know, the hockey culture down here in, in North right. Carolina. But, um, you know, I was the same way as you growing up. I was, I was always kind of highly touted. Um, but I, I took the summers off. Like we would go up to our cottage and we'd play tennis and, and basketball and swim and, you know, water skiing and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, once hockey was done, you know, we, we loved the season when it was going. And, um, you know, when, when you didn't have a game, you were outside messing around with your buddies, you know, playing road hockey or, or playing at the local rink. But when hockey season was over, it was, you know, on to other things. And, uh, you know, I think it served us pretty well back then. Yeah, for sure. We, um, so, I mean, because my kids are of the age that they are, I mean, I've been growing up in the minor hockey environment and coaching in that environment, right? So now I'm starting to see at every level, you know, when kids grow, when they don't, you know, what stars are like young, you know, I mean, maybe comes in, they grow early or you see these guys, guys grow late and, the, you know, the late bloomers. And it's mm -hmm. kind of been fun to watch it from a different perspective and not like growing up and living in it. Uh, I mean, you're a big man, 6'4", 220. Uh, like, were you somebody that grew early? And was that part of your dominance uh, at a younger level? Yeah, I mean, I, I was always tall, but I was pretty lanky. Um, I didn't really fill out until my, you know, probably until we met. Um, I started to put some muscle on. Um, you know, I was always, um, you know, I was always a guy known as, a, as someone having a good work, act, work ethic, um, team player. But, you know, I, there was always, you know, from a very young age, there was a group who were kind of considered the superstars. And they were always the superstars and they got most of the playing time until we all kind of hit puberty. And then there was a bit of a changing of the guard as, you know, some of the, the guys who were, uh, you know, late bloomers, like you said, they started to get more comfortable in their bodies. Uh, hitting was introduced to the game, which just creates a whole different dynamic. And so, you know, I remember a lot of guys who were the superstars back in Toronto back in the day, you know, none of them that I can recall ever kind of went on to higher levels. And there was a whole new, uh, you know, a whole new group came in. And so uh, that was, yeah, that's kind of when we were all 14, 15, and 16. And that's when I started to kind of personally recognize that, you know, this was something that, um, you know, I had a gift and, you know, it's something, you know, uh, I owed it to myself to take it seriously. And, right. and things kind of took off from there. That's cool. The, yeah. uh, you, you mentioned the body contact and it's, it's been a discussion in my, in my parent group, which I have this parent group on Facebook that's, you know, completely free to join is like 1800 families from across North America. And we, you know, it's just a community that we discuss different topics, you know, and I share mindset stuff in there and whatever. It's, it's just a good, good community, but we, t we're, we've been talking about the hitting right in contact and when like when should it be introduced and it's been more prevalent to me this year because my son graduated into bantam which is now where you start contact right yeah. um and for a lot of reasons i'm i'm like questioning that decision of when they introduce it right now and how they introduce it as far as from a hockey canada standpoint is concerned because my goodness at you 15 like that's 13 and 14 year olds. And you talk about like the exact time that some kids have grown and some kids haven't. And, and, you know, for instance, 
my my boy Hudson, I think he's five five right now, so not super small uh, and not really super light either. But he's one hundred and eighteen pounds. But like so, definitely on the lower side of probably both equations. And he is a kid in his team that's six two one ninety. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like, and that's, and like, and that, I mean, that's obviously a huge discrepancy, but like, that's what we're talking about, you know? And so we, we're talking about a hundred, almost a hundred pounds difference in weight. And now like, this is when they're trying to figure it out. That doesn't necessarily seem like the right solution for me, but uh, how was that? I mean, I would assume that was that transition for you into hitting was probably a welcome one. Yeah, no, it, it uh, worked well for me. I was pretty, uh, back in the day, I was pretty mobile. Um, I was pretty fast and, uh you know, I grew up, you know, watching, you know, the Don, Ch the Don Cherry Rock'em Sock'em videos. And so I, I love, you know, Wendell, Wendell Clark was my, you know, hero. And I was always trying to, you know, get the big hit. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that was a big part of my game for sure. For sure. And then, then later as my knees started to deteriorate um, and the player, other players got better, you know, it, it became a big hole in my game and, you know, a pretty big liability, actually. So it was interesting how it kind of evolved over time. Right. What became the liability? Just my lack of mobility, you know, lack of speed uh, or, you know, deteriorating speed and, and mobility. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, at the higher levels, you, you have to be, you have to kind of anticipate a play kind of, you know, two moves ahead of the next guy if you're going to try to line up a good player. And it doesn't happen very often. And if you're a step behind, it's definitely not going to happen. Right. Yeah, you end up stepping into empty space and yeah. not making yourself look very good. Yeah, right. that's for sure. Uh, just one more question on the hitting. Like, do you think, like, my – I've been trying to, like, build an idea of what this should look like, and I actually think that the private leagues out here have done a pretty good job with it, and that's at the – uh, because they separate into age groups, right? You know, like you only play with your age, not a year up or not a year down or whatever, that they're able to to do that. Part of the structure is that allows them to do that. But what they do is uh, the year before hitting, they, they have like modified contacts. So you're allowed to rub out along the boards. Uh, there's no open ice hits. There's no uh, like north-south types hits, but you're, you're allowed to angle. You're allowed to bump. You're definitely allowed to make contact and like hit along the wall. And um you know, and then that you're younger, they haven't, there's not quite the huge growth discrepancy. You know, I, I just think that's like a, an interesting place to start and maybe even to start that potentially even earlier than that in some type of even modified form, because from going from zero to full on everything um, seems like it's not probably the best way forward. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I agree. I think um, I'm not a big believer in these, like these kind of, 14U classifications or 12U or 10U, you know, that, like you said, it creates huge discrepancies uh, in terms of size and, and uh, strength and stuff. And, and that's where, you know, kids can get injured. Um, I, I'm a big fan of, you know, the, the idea of, because, you know, it's inevitable, even that, you know, my son, he just turned 11, kids are bumping into each other. It's inevitable. It's part of the game. And so if you learn, you know, at an early, early age, how to protect yourself, um, you know, I would, I would definitely support that and, and um, you know, penalize people who are, you know, kind of out there, you know, headhunting and stuff like that. And also I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be, you know, against seeing, um, you know, full contact pushed out until, you know, maybe 15 or a year or two before, you know, um, you know, WHL starts or, or, or OHL. So you learn again, how to protect yourself and you have some experience before you get into these leagues with, you know, older and bigger and smarter players. Yeah, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Back to you. Back to was there an OHL draft uh, when you were stepping in? Was, was that had that been introduced already? 
Yeah, yeah. I was drafted by Oshawa in 94. Okay. And how, how did that go? Where was your placement in that draft? I was fifth. Fifth overall. Fifth overall. Yeah. So fifth overall, and, and, and that's a draw of what? Like that's throughout all of Ontario? Is is that where it ends? Is it just Ontario-born players? Uh, no, the, there was um, there were some American players there, I remember, as well. Uh, because uh, uh, Brard, I believe, was our number one overall draft pick that oh, year. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. So very, very highly picked. So I mean, I, and the world has changed since since that draft, and I'm sure these players now going through it. You mean social media is everywhere, and there's ranking charts, and they know this and they know that. Did well, how much did you know that year leading up to your? Uh, I guess that'd have been your first year midget, technically. I don't know if those words exist anymore, but. Yeah. Um, was there much pomp and uh, pomp and cir- circumstance around it, or were you just playing hockey? Uh, yeah, it's, I, I was pretty much just you know I was I was green, innocent, uh, just playing hockey until probably Bantam, um, and then you know you start you know you start to see that people are looking at you and you hear whispers and um, um, you know it's 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 a weird it's a weird process. It kind of takes on a life of its own. Like one day you're, you're just out there playing hockey and the next you have to think about, you know, where are you going to move to next year with a, you know, with a family uh, as a billet. Uh, so it, it was strange. Um, but I, I actually skipped midget uh, after Bantam. I went to uh, junior B, which was a thing in Toronto at the time and played for Wexford because uh, they had a, a strong program and they had sent a lot of kids to college on scholarships. Um, but I was one of the few that actually opted to go to the OHL because, uh, you know, I, I felt that it was, uh, for me personally, it was probably the best opportunity to get to the NHL faster versus college. And, um, yeah, it worked out pretty well. Right. Yeah, no, I, I essentially had the exact same, same, uh, same route. I played at 15 for the, for the Panthers here with Paul Korea, right. Which is the junior mm-hmm. A system, which was, you know, if you want to get a scholarship, that's where you would go. Um, and then I was eligible to play to play in the WHL at 16, and that was really my goal and my dream, and 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 that was sort of where the wind was blowing me, right? That you know probably NHL or pro sooner than later, and that was just a quicker way. And I wouldn't have my draft year in the BCJ, which was tough at the time. You know, uh, you'd rather be in the WHL for that. So yeah, so I opted kind of for the same route as you. So you played the one year there, and then hopped into Oshawa. Uh, so that have been as a because you got drafted in 95, you're showing that would have been in your draft year then. Your rookie year was your draft year? Yeah, after my rookie year in Oshawa, I was uh, I was drafted. So that was the 95 draft. Gotcha. And I played the 95, 96 year in Oshawa. Uh, and then... But with with Rexford, though, where's Dennis going to stop you there? So your 16-year-old year then, you opted for Junior B. Was that because Oshawa didn't want you there as a 16-year-old? You didn't think you were ready? Or, or how, did, how did that work? Um... Oh gosh, I gotta get my uh, go back in time here. It's so long ago. Um, well, I think I, I entered a, as the at the appropriate age. I wasn't underage um, going into Oshawa. Um, it was. What is your draft year? Is your seventeen-year-old year usually right? So if we got those years right, you would have been drafted. Your draft year in ninety-five would have been your seventeen-year-old year because you would have turned eighteen. Yeah, I, I was definitely drafted by Toronto in ninety-five. So maybe I got the. Uh, Maybe you got the Oshawa draft year wrong. No, yeah, but so, but did you play as a sixteen-year-old then, or was your rookie year as a seventeen-year-old in Oshawa? I must have been sixteen. Yeah, I must have been huh. 16. yeah. Okay, that doesn't line up. But so you're, 
year, regardless, your draft year was the year that you had 13 points. Is that the one that you, is that, is that accurate? With Oshawa? Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. So when you, so you, you come in as a fifth overall for out of the draft, end up going 15th overall uh, in, in the big draft, in the NHL draft. What was like, how did you identify yourself? Like what type of player were you or what type of player were you dubbed to be? Yeah. Um, big, tough, stay at home defenseman, penalty killer. Um, you know, I was always a team captain or a team captain. And so, I, you know, I was always looked at uh, as a leader. And so those were the roles I was, you know, I, I was really comfortable with and embraced and, uh, and something I really kind of uh, strove to, to kind of, um, you know, emulate and, 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 and to make it, you know, kind of my thing. And gotcha. Yeah. So it was, um, you know, it's a process. And, and I remember after I was drafted, uh, you know, Cliff Fletcher was, was, um, you know, our GM, and he said, listen, if you want to be a stay-at-home, uh, big, tough defenseman, you're going to have to go to the Myers for a couple of years. And uh, it's just it's just the normal process. And, and you know, that was fine. That was fine. It's, it, you know, you can't just show up and think you're going to, you know, jump into the NHL and, and start shutting down, you know, superstars. It's, it's a real process and, uh, you know, something I learned to appreciate over time. Right. That um, that in and of itself, though, I think is a bit of a rarity. Like to go as high as you were uh, in the OHL draft, usually it is the flashy guys, right, or the flashier guys. Um, I don't know if you'd say a higher ceiling or what, um, but I, I love that you're saying that. Is because like I'm when I'm working with players now uh, in a team environment or vice versa, just on a, a, a in a private basis, like understanding who they are is really a problem a lot of the times, right? Like yeah. you know, like to embrace. To embrace an identity and to embrace a role and 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 not to limit them in that role because you can always expand but just to embrace the fact of like you sitting there saying like i was a stay-at-home defenseman i took pride in doing that like that's harder that, that's rarer than you might think to hear somebody want want to be that and and to enjoy doing it yeah you know i, I never really realized that um it was uh i guess it was just something i figured out at a young age that this is where i fit in to the team and this is where i'm going to add the most value to the team I was never a big scorer at all at any level. Um, I was never, you know, a Brian Leach type of defenseman. And I knew that, and I was kind of, you know, pretty honest with myself. And then I knew, you know, I knew I could stop guys, though. And I was always good at that, and, and then that became, you know, a source of pride for me. And so I wanted to be known as the guy that you trusted to shut down, you know, the Jason Fadolans of the world, <laughs> you know, putting up huge numbers. And so that was that was a role, like, I really cherished. That is so cool. Um and yet you said, I mean, one of your biggest attributes was your speed and your mobility. So, um, you know, be, being fast and mobile obviously allows you allows you to do that. But, I mean, a lot of people re reflect back on that time frame. And, and usually the big shutdown guys weren't fast and mobile. You yeah. know, and I think the irony maybe is to your story is that you went from being uh, maybe a new age version of the shutdown defenseman, right, who could skate the puck out and do these things, uh, but then you sort of regressed because of your injuries to somebody that was more atypical of the time, which was a, a slower, big, try to be shut down defenseman. Is that accurate? Yeah, no, I think that's completely accurate. Um, it was, uh, it was a frustrating process to kind of to you know something you you again you you would try to uh, uh, nurse and, and you took pride in and you know that was part of your identity. And then while you're still playing, you recognize like, oh my gosh. I, 
this isn't who I am anymore. This is the same player. And so you have to try to find out where you are on the team that you're at at that particular time and where are you going to fit in and where are you going to you know, contribute? And so, um, you know, that's a challenging process for sure. Well, yeah. And as you know, what I'm doing now, and I mean, I, I use the word mindset and I think that encompasses, you know, so many different dynamics. It, it's a, it's a pretty big word. Uh, but man, like the mindset of that, I mean, you're, you're talking about self-awareness there that a lot of guys don't have. And when you recognize the self-awareness and you're looking in the mirror and seeing that now you have to do something about it, right? Like, how are you going to deal with that? Does your ego allow yourself to deal with that? You know, and, and you know, how, how are you going to make yourself relevant? You can, can you maybe share anything about that? Cause I know that you're obviously an, an intelligent guy, uh, and and I remember that from even playing with you, you know, well-spoken, uh, thoughtful, like that must have been a lot of discussions going on internally for you. Yeah, no, for sure. So um, I think I had my first knee surgery, again, if my, if my math is right, which hasn't been too sharp so far today, but uh, it was right before my first year in St. John's. And uh, the Leafs doctor, he worked on me. It was a meniscus tear didn't seem like a big deal and he said you know you'd be fine for the rest of your career so i never really put much thought into it but you know, pretty quickly into the first season it was bothering me a lot and uh i i recognized i was kind of a half step slower than i was and there was a lot of swelling some days and um you know i was in, in and out of the lineup occasionally and so you know that was that was you know challenging for me especially you know, you're on a new team, you're trying to prove yourself, you're with older players who, uh, you know, have been around the block. And, uh, you know, to be kind of the, you know, the, the first round kid who he's, you know, maybe he's hurt, but I, he never really had a, you know, specific incident. And, you know, so maybe he just doesn't really want to play. So that was a process for me, especially because, you know, like we talked about, I kind of prided myself on being a team guy. So, um, yeah, it, it was a search searching process. Um, it, it made you, it made me, you know, sensitive at times to criticism, uh, because, you know, I felt, you know, vulnerable about, you know, that this, you know, again, my identity was changing and, you know, where am I going to fit in? And so it's, uh, it, it wasn't a lot of fun to be honest, but it was, um, you know, it was important to do and, you know, you had to be honest with yourself and again, Try to figure out where you're gonna, you know, where if you really are a team player, you know, where you gotta figure out where you're gonna contribute to the team the best way you can. And so that was, we're, that talking, was process. we're talking at 20 years old too, right? Like, I mean, that's that's the thing. Like, I, that kind of stuff actually blows my mind because it, it there's so much going on, right? There's so much going on on a personal level, and. And I remember my experience out there. I mean, I had so much going on. You had so much going on, right? And there's, I don't know what you remember, but there was not one person talking to me about any of it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Newfoundland is, uh, it has a lot of virtues. Uh, you know, amazing people, so nice, uh, you know, pretty, but it's very isolated. And there's not a lot to do except kind of sit around and kind of think about what's going right or, you know, sometimes what's going wrong. And uh, that can create a pretty negative, you know, feedback loop, which which isn't healthy at all. Right. Well, and that, to my point, right. So yeah. So I mean, if you're somebody that internalizes something, right, and you decide not to go out and go to the bar, let's say, and have some beers, which was what I decided to do half the time when I didn't know what to do with myself, right? Like we'd go go meet some people or whatever, take your mind off things. You yeah. can get into some bad habits on both sides of that coin. But I guess my point is, 
is here's a first round pick out of from Toronto that's just had surgery that you're going through all this stuff that you're noticing and trying to deal with and get in the lineup. And who talked to you about it from Toronto? Um, yeah, uh, so I, I hope the situation in Toronto has changed. And again, I'm, I'm far removed, so I don't know. But uh, uh, it wasn't it wasn't a great um, environment for you know bringing up young players, uh, to put it gently. <laughs> there there was there wasn't a lot of dialogue. There wasn't a lot of feedback. Um, you did, and because you were isolated, you know you you didn't. You, there was just no sense of visibility. It kind of felt like you were getting lost in the, you know, lost in the shuffle a little bit. Um, you know, in hindsight, I think that was uh, a mistake, to be honest. Uh, I mean, there was some truth to it for sure. But, you know, I, I think over time, and you know, after I've stepped away from the game for a number of years, I kind of realized that, you know, there is a lot of things that are your control. But if you spend your time dwelling on that, it's just, it's no good. You, you just have to focus on, you know, the things that are, are in your control. And, um, you know, part of that is just showing up with a good attitude, even if you have to fake it. And sometimes you do, uh, but, you know, show up, have a good attitude. And, you know, I think if you keep doing that over time, that someone's going to notice, uh, whether you're in St. John's or you're in, you know, Toronto or Brandon, Alberta or, or New York, you know, I think if you keep showing up, you, you know, you keep trying, you, you try not to beat up on yourself or, you know, you know, complain about the situation that eventually someone's going to recognize it and, and hopefully give you a shot. And, you know, maybe, maybe I'm looking at things with, you know, ros rosy colored glasses now that I'm, you know, 20 plus years out of the game. But, um, you know, when I zoom back into that moment, you know, it, it was a difficult time. Quick break from the episode here to remind you all things Up My Hockey. Uh, Up My Hockey is your home for holistic development. If you're looking for player development and you're looking for it to do it in a style that is new age and is thoughtful and is progressive, uh, then developing the person behind the player uh, is the way to go. To give your player the mindset tools. As Jeff so eloquently says in this episode, uh, you get provided with tools and strategies to empower yourself that you can make different decisions in the moments that are going to be beneficial and that aren't going to be harming you because you don't know the difference uh it's so crazy that these things aren't really taught in school it's crazy that they're not taught um you know elsewhere uh in sports and in environments that you're at uh when there's such an integral part of performance development peak potential um so that is what Up My Hockey is. It's, it's unpacking uh, the athlete and providing a holistic development approach to being your best. And, uh, and what I do really, really love about what I do is that not only do I do help hockey players be better at what they love, which is hockey, uh, but the, the byproduct of the work that we do together, whether inside my programs or whether it's personally one-on-one -on -one or in a group or team environment, is that the individual's are better able to prosper at life in their own relationships away from the rink, in school, in their work, with their families, in relationships. This is the gift and a school and a skill that just keeps on giving. So um, yes, that's up my hockey. It's at upmyhockey.com. Leadership development, culture development, mindset development. Um, 
development, physical skill development, changing your paradigms and your and your perceptions about what that means and how to execute better. Like there's there's so much inside uh, what Hot by Hockey is. Uh, I'm really proud of uh, the uh, company and the uh, brand that it's becoming. And if you want to know more about what it looks like to work with me, whether you have a team, an association, an academy, or just a hockey playing son or daughter, uh, you can look at upmyhockey.com to find that out. Uh, now back to my interview with Jeff Ware. What I teach players now is like the empowerment of the moment, like for sure. Like in every moment, there is some opportunity, right? And sometimes we need some help to find that, you know, and some direction on what to focus on when we get to the rink to make that to make that a reality. So I'm definitely not a, a victim player. There are circumstances and there are situations where you, you know, there's things that you can't control as, as you're saying, but I'm just only bringing that up just from a, just for the listeners here, right? Like just for, mm-hmm. just to under, and not even to point fingers at Toronto, because I'm sure Toronto was probably one of 28 other teams that was behaving very similarly back at those days, but yeah. it was a very isolating experience and there was no support available. Not, not to our recognition anyways. And, and it didn't seem like they were very engaged in giving that, like, and whether even they knew what support was, right? Like, I think it was 20 years ago, but like to have you again, to use, use your scenario that you've just gone through the surgery, like there's a lot going on with that in and of itself, yeah. right? To recover from a surgery, to, you know, to be now in a new place, in a new team, like you said, trying to trying to fit in with your peers, trying to earn their respect, trying to find your way on the ice, like all this stuff, like, could you imagine if Billy Waters was like, came up every couple of weeks? Where's you? How's it going, man? Like, what's up with your knee? You know, like what, you know, like this is how, this is where we see you at. And this is kind of our, our pipeline. Are you feeling all right? You know, like those types of discussions probably would have made a world of difference and could have been very helpful. Yet you at 20 were left there trying to figure all that stuff out on your own. Yeah, no, that's, that's all true. All true and uh, undeniable for sure. Um, you know, I think, I think I talked to Bill Waters maybe once a year and uh, I do, I do distinctly remember, and I don't know if you recall this or not, but um, I do distinctly, distinctly remember that there was a big emphasis on, you know, whether we win or lose, we're going to win the fights. So um, there was a big push. And in my case, it was, you know, explicit uh, on many occasions that like, you're going to go out and you're going to, you know, take care of business. And uh, for, you know, that was another, you know, challenge because that wasn't, that wasn't who I was. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, it came, you know, naturally in the game spontaneously as a big, you know, physical defenseman, you're going to get into fights once in a while, but this was a different style. This was kind of, you know, spending all week sitting around thinking about who you're going to take on on Friday night, which, um, you know, it's a lot of pressure on a young kid back then. So, uh, yeah, to have someone to talk to, to, um, you know, just events or to have someone listen to you, that would have done, you know, incredible wonders, I think. And um, actually, after after um, my episode with St. John's, I, I engaged with a, uh, you know, sports psychologist and it was it was incredible. My, my confidence was shattered after St. John's and. It took me, you know, a couple of years to build it back up, but it was uh, it was amazing. They, you know, just by listening and making some suggestions, they give you the tools to help yourself, uh, right? You know, fix your mindset. You know, they can't tell you what's right or wrong or what happened. Uh, it's, you know, good luck or bad luck or whatever. And they they help you uh, develop the tools to you know help yourself. And so, uh, if anyone, you know, if there's any stigma around seeing a sports psychologist, I I couldn't disagree more with that. You know, I, th- I think it's great for any player who, who needs to talk about things. Yeah. 
no fantastic i love that share uh what a great share and way to be brave enough to be able to do it because at the time there was a stigma about like one and there still is that stigma not necessarily about about the profession of sports psychology like i i I think that that's kind of gone by the wayside like there's massive value there and i completely respect the people that do it but for an athlete in that moment being a pro athlete to hold up your hand uh and say there's something not right here you know i i gotta go see something right like that's the narrative that i think sucks because why do you have to be broken to go see a sports psychologist and that's what i say with with guys that are working with me right like you might not have confidence. Things might might not be going well. Like, and I will obviously love to get you through that and over that. But like, you should be seeking people like me out or a sports psychologist out when things are going good. Yeah, I you agree. know, like prepare for the storm before the storm happens, or even how can you fine tune what you're doing well now to get even more out of yourself? Right? Like, it should be looked at as a high performance tool, not as like a way to recover from something horrific. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, I, I don't, I, I don't like that. I don't like that people wait that long either, but I'm so thankful that you did and you got it and you have a great story to, to share for it. Um, what was that process like for you? Like to get to that point where you wanted to pick up the phone and say, Hey, like, I want to make an appointment. Um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, <laughs> so in, after my first year in Toronto, um, Again, I, I don't want to kind of rehash all the the dirty, you know, laundry, but I basically I I felt like things weren't, weren't going the right direction with the organization, so I asked for a trade, um, you know, very quietly, and they just flat out said no and didn't really give a reason. There was a new management change or a new management in Toronto at the time. It was um, you know Mike Smith and a whole different regime, and uh, so. Um, you know, I was kind of trying to figure out a strategy with my agent and he suggested, um, you know, I kind of proactively, um, you know, get yourself traded, figure out how to do that, you know, make yourself, you know, <laughs> kind of unwanted. And, and so I, I did, you know, I, I went and like, you know, picked fights with the coach and um, I, I did some things that, you know, in hindsight, I, I wish I hadn't done. And, uh, you know, and then they did trade me. And, and so after I left that, I, I there was like a sense of shame that I had kind of taken that route. And, um, you know, even though it was successful in our ultimate goal, like I, it was just not the person I wanted to be. And so, you know, after Toronto, I felt like, you know, it's time for me to take ownership over my career. You know, my, my agent can't do this for me. My, my dad can't do it for me. My old coaches can't do it for me. Like I have to do it. And so, you know, again, it's just kind of looking in the mirror, being honest and saying, like, what do I need right now? I, like, I need to talk to someone who's objective and, and has no, you know, axe to grind. He's not political. Like someone who's just going to kind of listen and hear me out. And and then just the process of talking, you know, you, you start to figure things out yourself. You start to see things from different angles and a different light. And, and then, you know, you, you figure it out and you start to heal a little bit. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's totally it, you know, and that's the thing. Um, as far as like my placement too, like which I think is relevant because like I did mention sports psychology. I am not a sports psychologist, like so. I, if I just want to make sure that there's that line there, like, and I have immense respect for them that have done the, you know, done the academia required to do all that. Uh, and they're super. I, I've talked to a lot of guys that have that have that have benefited from them, but I think there's like there's why why people like me exist is because. 
there's there's a lack of trust by some athletes that like what does this person really know they've never been there you know like what mm -hmm. am i telling them for you know and and so i think where someone like me comes in who is who doesn't have letters after my name but has been in the same dressing rooms you've been in right and have tried to do the same things that you tried to do and um and did some things really well and and failed in other aspects right that we have this this breadth of experience first person first world experience that that helps right and we can speak the same language and speak the same uh speak the same talk so it becomes a bit more approachable and a bit more familiar right like to be able to make that that call right or to be able to say hey i'd like to talk to somebody because i know for me personally um that was one thing that was available at the time like i mean i know florida had a sports psychologist that like they introduced mm -hmm. us to um toronto also did uh, but it wasn't like the introduction felt to me like yeah like i was I would have leprosy if I picked up that phone. You know what I mean? Like there, there was no way I was going to do this. That was just like, uh, you know, that, that was, that was me telling them that I couldn't handle something. Right. Um, so anyways, I think it's more approachable now. I think the space is more approachable, but like as eloquent as you are with it in your own experience, like, like all, everything you're talking about there, like, yes, there's on ice components to it, but it's the, it's not the athlete. It's the person that's dealing with it. Right. Yeah. It's the person that's dealing with it. And um, and so much of the focus was on, you know, on on the physical asset of the hockey player and that everything else was just forgotten about. And it's yeah. and it's starting to come to light now that without what's going on between your ears connected to, you know, your hands and your feet. Right. To give yourself the best opportunity in the moment. Like it's just not going to work. So um, have you found that some of that stuff that the sports psychologist that you worked with them on is now is applicable to life and job and being a, a dad and a husband? Oh, it's, it's, um, it changed my life for sure. It's it, you, after going through what, you know, you and I went through within the hockey and then, you know, taking the time to reflect on it, you know, objectively and thoughtfully, um, recognizing where you made mistakes and recognize, you know, areas where, you know, you, you, you had a bad hand and, you know, things just didn't work out for whatever reason. It gives you a lot of strength and you, you feel like you can go into any situation and you kind of feel like you're the toughest person in the room. And I don't mean, you know, you can you know knock someone out. It means you, you know, you feel like you can take on anything. And so uh, whether it's a, you know, a challenge with uh, your job or, you know, an issue with your, with your wife or your husband or whatever, uh, your kids, um, your neighbors, you know, whatever it is, you... And you still have those impulses where you have anger or you react a certain way, but it, it kind of helps you to kind of take a step back and, and think about, oh, wait, when have I been in this situation before? What's worked? What doesn't? What's really my goal here? Um, and it just helps you to kind of be a little bit more thoughtful about the whole process. So it's been it's been amazing. I would definitely encourage it for anyone who, uh, again, who needs it. Yeah, right. And I assume you saying that you would have like engaged with somebody prior to the time you did like you know whenever that would have been but to have somebody on your side or at your shoulder that wasn't mom or dad or an agent to to help you navigate that space i'm sure you would have found valuable absolutely absolutely again we're, we were you know we were babies back then you know we <laughs> we were barely young men and you know we were just learning about the world we were you know just learning about um you know uh, our bodies, you know, the, the opposite sex, drinking, you had all these pressures. Thank God we didn't have social media at the time because that would have added a whole new, you know, element. Um, and then you're shipped off to, you know, a different city. You're living with, a, you know, a strange family. 
not that they're not nice, but it's just, it's a real, it's a lot for a young kid. And so to have, um, you know, a third party who's objective, um, who will just, you know, kind of listen to you with no, no judgment, you know, that I think that'd be a great thing. And uh, if I'd had that earlier, you know, who knows, you know, maybe it wouldn't have helped my knee, but you know, maybe I could handle like the kind of the downfall a little bit better. Yeah, well, exactly. Navigate the space. I mean, and how 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 that environment affects you, you know, personally, you know, is 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 huge. And I think, yeah, there's so much there's so much going on there for, for all of us between the years. And one of the things I was just thinking, like, physical is is a it's a huge component of that. Like your physical ability to do something. When people are coming back from injury or the body's you know degenerating as you move on in your career, sometimes it, it gets. Uh, you know, it, it, the process is quick and for, for, for different circumstances, uh, like that's a whole issue. And then you have like the ability of like your, your EQ, right? Like your emotional quotient, not only with yourself, but like with your teammates and with the coaching staff, like that was something like, like when I look back on my, on my history, like for some reason I had this like chip on my shoulder with coaching staff or with management, like, but I wanted the boys to love me, right? That was like, that was my dichotomy, right? Like I wanted to be like, I wanted to be one of the boys in the room. I want to have the respect of the group. Uh, yeah. But I didn't want to feel like I was putting on airs for a coach or for, you know, whoever, right? And I think that approach, I was totally missing the boat because that's all anything is, is connections, right? Yeah. Like yeah. coaches need to be in love with you, right? Because they make a huge difference, right? If there's any reason for a coach not to like you or for anyone in that organization not to like, you're not doing yourself any favors. So like fostering those connections and understanding that and and even that, right? Like who teaches that right now? Yeah, um, it, it's experience. Um, again, you know, reflecting on, you know, what's working, what's not. Uh, right. I started to do it more in my, the, the last few years of my, my career. Um, I was with Syracuse and I'd figured it out by then that, yeah, I need, I need to, I, I started to put myself in the shoes of the coach and like, how's he see me? Like, how am I going to help him achieve his goals? And so I would, I would just go and sit in his office and I would, and, uh, you know, talk to him and say, you know, just find out what's going on with, you know, with so-and-so, what does he think of me? You know, we got this game coming up, you know, how do you see it playing out? Um, who's going up, who's coming down, how are we going to win this thing together? How are we going to help each other? And so that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. It, you know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a way to like ingratiate myself. It was, it was kind of like I was genuinely interested in helping the team win. And then, you know, just all these good things happened and like just flowed out of it. And, uh, you know, you felt more engaged. You felt like more, you know, more like a, you know, a leader on the team. And it was, that was a lot of fun to do that. So, um, but yeah, no, in terms of, you know, the, the mental game, it's everything. It's everything. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm happy to hear what you said earlier about, you know, people paying more attention to, you know, the sleep and nutrition and the training. And I'm sure it's much more advanced than anything we did. But the real secret there is is the mindset and that everything flows out of that. And, you know, if, if you're not... If you're not in the right headspace, you know, you're going to have doubts, you're going to have hesitancy, you're going to be tempted to make shortcuts, you may be sensitive to criticism, you may have a chip on your shoulder with some particular person who's really important to you, yeah. uh, and you might not know it. So it's uh, it's interesting, for sure. Yeah, no, it totally is. I love the way you were, like, how you phrased that. I mean, it wasn't, you weren't doing it for personal gain, and that's the thing. So, like, I'm, I, I bring it up in that way, because when you're speaking to an athlete, like, they under, they need to know 
or they want to know like how is this going to help me right yeah. so like that happens after you're authentic and you understand the importance of what it is that you're doing right that you're not changing who you are like and that was the thing with me i'm actually i mean i people seem to like me you know like when i talk with them i i, I tend not to make people mad i know there's people probably lining up right now with their hands up saying you liar i hate you <laughs> but for the most part like it seems like that like that's good so like if i would have just been myself authentically me and allowed myself to be open and available you know, and be interested and curious like I am naturally, yeah. right? Yeah. Like these things would have flown and happened. But if you get inward and you get internal and you have these different ideas and you don't know why you're doing them anyways, then you get hurt at the end of the day, right? So the one, just being yourself and being a good human being and understanding that this not only is just the way to be, it's also a way to get what you want better, quicker, faster, right? Like they just go hand in hand. So yeah, I mean, if you ever come across as inauthentic and you're trying to contrive relationships to better yourself, like that's not going to work and that's not going to fly and people are going to see through that and you're going to be annoying and you're not going to last very long, right? But of all yeah. the guys that I've seen that have done well that are still involved in the game, they were guys that were just themselves and they had a great time in the locker room and they made connections and those connections are now still connections and, and that's the way the world works. So uh, there's so many different dynamics to to anything, whether it be high achieving in, in a lawyer's office or a doctor's office or, or anywhere, right, uh, in, on Wall Street. Uh, I just think it's interesting because all of these things we're talking about, uh, you know, are person, personal, personal development scenarios that allow you to be better. And, yeah. Uh, no, it's all about people. It's all about people. And, you know, everyone, you know, um, has their uh, inadequacies and their, uh, you know, the stories going through their heads. But, you know, I think if you, you know, you pick your spots, you, you know, you don't show up in the coach's office every day looking to, to chat, but you know, if there's something to say, you know, feel free to go say it. And I think if a coach is worth a salt, it will appreciate that. And uh, you know, it's a real dialogue. And, and then like to your point, it applies to everything in life. It's, it's all about relationships. So, um, you know, if you approach it honestly on and authentically, then, you know, nine times out of 10, you'll, you'll get a good response. I think. Yeah. Well, how many surgeries did you end up having before you before you called it a day? Uh, so I had four while I was playing, pretty much one every year, and then I had one after I, I finally uh, called it quits. All on the knees? All on the right knee. Yeah. Jeepers. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, one of the ir ironies of it all was that it was it was kind of like a slow burn. You know, it was, it would just kind of slowly deteriorate over time. And so I knew the writing was on the wall. And, um, you know, ironically, I started to appreciate the last couple of years a little bit more. And um, so that, that was kind of interesting. And then it made the retirement easier too, because I knew like I had nothing else to give. Like I, I could barely walk after a bus ride. I, I was, I would wait until everyone left and then I would kind of sneak off so no one would see me. Um, so at the end, it was kind of easy because there there was no other way to go. It wasn't like I was just opting not to play anymore. It was, there there wasn't a choice. And so, ironically, that was that was a good thing. Um, I was still relatively young. I was in the early twenties, so I could kind of make a transition into something else. And uh, so you know, one door closes, so another one opens, and you got you know, take advantage of those. Right. And uh, 
you know, I know my ego had, had a lot to do with like me leaving or you have those questions, you know, being this child star and all this, you know, these these projections that you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And, you know, I ended up playing 41 NHL games. And, you know, in the intro to this podcast, I, th- I thought I was going to play a thousand. And that was really, I mean, the truth of it. Right. And and there is a there is a ego side of that when you're looking back to be like, what the F happened? You know, or like, how did how did I fail or where did I go wrong? You know, like that was that was part of it for me, like at thirties. And I think with you, I would assume and correct me if I'm wrong, but like being from Ontario, being a Toronto first round pick and then like to walk into your first year pro to have your first surgery and to really never be who you were supposed to be, even physically. um, Like, was that hard, like answering those questions or being deemed, you know, you know, a bad pick or a failure or whatever would have come across your way? Oh, yeah. No, I've heard it all. Uh, You know, worst pick in Leaf history, you know, terrible player, you know, uh, I've heard it all. Um, Yeah, it was. Yeah, no way to get it around. It was definitely hard. I mean, that stuff, that stuff, those kind of criticisms and they burn you like temporarily. But the real you know, the real kind of disappointment came from just not achieving what, like you said, and what you, you would set yourself out to, uh, to achieve. And, you know, it's really a part of your personality. You're, you're this young, you know, young guy coming up, all the promise in the world, you're going to be, you know, a, a career, you know, NHL player. Um, you're going to have a ton of fun, maybe win the cup one year, make a lot of money and um, just like didn't even come close didn't even come close. And so, uh, I, I still deal, deal with that today, but it's, I'm a lot better with it than I, than I was. Um, but the first couple of years, um, I kind of dove into school and put all that energy into, into finishing my undergrad, but it was actually after that, when school was over and I had to go out and find a, you know, a real job that it started to sink in and, and I had, you know, a dark period and I was, you know, drinking too much and, you know, in a bad headspace, and, and then just started to work on that. And, and, you know, over time you climb back out of it and yeah. Am I still sensitive about it sometimes on, on a day when I'm tired or, you know, I'm in a bad mood for sure. For sure. I, I'd be lying if, if I said otherwise, but um, you know, again, you try to focus on the good things that came out of it. Well, yeah, man, like which, which actually maybe we can shift gears because the, I mean, it's it so crazy. I didn't even realize how many parallels that we had, right? So I totally feel what you're saying there, first of all. Like, you know, like there's there, there's definitely aspects of, you know, trades that I was involved with or picks that I was done or, you know, you hear, you know, you hear this, you hear that and, and you deal with it and you move on the best you can. But I can totally, totally get what, what you're saying there, right? That it kind of, it stays with you, right? And depends where it shows up or where it comes up or how it comes up, right? Of, of how, how often or how real it is. Um, but I do think the work that I've done personally, it sounds like that you've done personally, like I'm almost thankful for all, like for all the really shitty stuff, you know, that, that maybe we're talking about, like, that's actually where the juice really is, you know, like that is, that's where you find out and that's where you, you figure it out. And that's where you gain this resolve and, and really this, this own personal self-belief that I I got this and I can do whatever the hell I want, you know, because of that. So. Uh, I don't know if you feel that, but that's one of the things I'm talking with players now. I'm like, you know what? Like, it doesn't feel like it right now, but when we get through this and you will get through this, like, you're going to be so thankful for this moment right now. 
Yeah. Without it, you're not going to understand who you are and what you could be. So, um, for any out there, anyone out there dealing with some shit right now, like if you're listening to this and things aren't going your way, like really, mm-hmm. like listen to Where's He, like whatever you can do to find your your you know like fill that glass half up you know see the silver lining find an opportunity in that moment and just keep fighting through because once you get out of it it's like you look back and you're so proud so i am proud of the of the crap that we went through and i'm sure you are as well uh could it have gone better better differently you know more acclaim more uh more celebrity status yeah sure but hey that's that's not the way it goes all the time right yeah the um i couldn't agree more. Like the the low points in retrospect are, you know, the, the high points now because you 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 go through it, you grind through it, and uh, you come out stronger. And and uh, the, the just you keep building on all those those defeats, and you build up that shield, that kind of superpower. And uh, I feel the same way as you know. Like I, I'm I, I'm confident. Couldn't be happier. Um, you know, I, I know I can deal with a lot and I, I look around and I, you know, especially in the world today when people are so sensitive about so many different things, like it's kind of like water off a duck's back. So yeah. it's, it's a good place to be. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You're the same, you're the same sentiment to me with all this stuff that's going on in the headlines and you're hurting people's feelings all over the place and, and not to discount anyone's feelings. Yeah. Right? It's like the stuff that we went through, like you can't really describe it until you've done it. Right. And so everything just sort of seems easy breezy now in this day and age. Just a quick break from my conversation with Jeff to thank you again. I always like to thank everybody listening. I think that that's super important because you are what this is all about. Um, all of you, I'm getting a lot more uh, shout-outs, too, uh, online with the DMs. Uh, really appreciate that. I do appreciate the suggestions for guests. I even, like, I just got connected with an old hockey friend who used to hear play with the Vipers with uh, with Michigan State head coach uh, Adam Nightingale. So I think Adam Nightingale is going to be a future guest. And, and there's been other people that have been reaching out and say, hey, you should interview this guy. I have a connection here. I have a connection there. That is so amazing, and that is so helpful um, for me in, in the pursuit of guests and high quality guests that are uh, people that you know I think have stories that are worth sharing and people worth listening to so by all means keep those coming like I really do appreciate the support when it comes to uh, you know searching for guests uh, interviews that you found amazing uh, ideas concepts covered that you thought were great uh, the reviews that come in that oh geez I'm supposed to be reading one right now I actually totally forgot to do that I don't have one ready so we'll, we'll skip that but uh, keep those reviews coming in uh, the five-star reviews are fantastic you're sharing on social you're sharing amongst your friends uh all of this is really creating the up my hockey community and what it's all about bringing people together so thank you again for listening uh once again and uh, we'll get back to this interesting conversation with jeff ware thanks again let's talk about like that whole world junior which was awesome and so this was like kind of when the glory days were happening right i mean fifth overall pick and then you're playing junior and your knee's good and you're feeling healthy and now you're representing canada uh was that one of the highlights for you play, uh, winning that world junior gold medal and playing for mike babcock yeah it was uh i mean what a year that, that definitely was the highlight year so I, I made toronto out of the camp that year and played um a handful of games with them and then they sent me to uh try out for world juniors and i was you know fortunate enough to make the team uh and then after World Juniors, I went back to Oshawa and we won. He won the OHL championship. So, oh wow! So it was a big year for 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 me. Um, but yeah, World Juniors, you know, in, in retrospect, probably maybe the highlight of, of it all. I mean, to have that opportunity to to play for your country, represent your country, and 
Uh, and then to, to go ahead and, and win uh, under, you know, an amazing coach uh, with, you know, incredible teammates, uh, world-class program. It was just, you know, what, what, what a dream come true. It was just unbelievable and, and uh, so much fun. And you know, of all the challenges I had in, in, in some of the memories with hockey that some were not as great as others, through and through consistently world juniors is just, you know, the best experience ever. It was so fun. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. what do you think of Mike Babcock? There's kind of an interesting discussion there because you had the chance to play for him there. He did go on to, for, for all my uh, Toronto Maple Leaf fans that, that are listeners, you also didn't get a chance to, uh, to play for him under the Maple Leaf logo. I played for him uh, as a Spokane chief for, for two years in the day. Um, and he kind of left obviously Toronto, on not the best of terms. Uh, what what did you see in playing for him then uh, that you liked or didn't like? Yeah, so we we uh, did not have the best team at the tournament that year in World Juniors at all. Uh, we we had some amazing individual players who um, went on to have fantastic careers, like you know Danny Briere, uh, Joe Thornton was an underage for us. Uh, two great goalies, Marty Biron, Sebastian, uh, or. Um, uh, who was it, Marty Biron and uh, I forget the other one. And in any case, uh, Boyd Devereaux, Al McCauley. So it's some, some fantastic players. But, you know, we didn't have a superstar team like the year before. Um, and so I think the, the thing that Mike Babcock impressed me with was he recognized that, that we weren't going to win by trying to outgun the Russians or, or you know, some of the other teams like that. Our, our our kind of bread and butter was going to be Canadian style hockey. We're going to play, you know, really disciplined hockey. We're going to play physical hockey and we're going to be, we're going to use the depth of our lineup. And so everyone was expected to do the same thing. Uh, everyone was back checking, everyone was sacrificing their body and everyone was expected to, you know, chip in a goal if there was the opportunity and, and the opportunity presented itself. And so I thought that was amazing. And he kind of engaged in a lot of team building exercises uh, he would talk to players individually. I know he and I talked individually a few times during the tournament about specific plays. You know, stuff that no one else saw or, you know, no one else would have paid attention to. But he'd pull you aside and say, you know, what happened here or what were you thinking there? And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what happened with, you know, with him in Toronto. I didn't follow it. But from my experience, it, it was, you know, world class. Yeah, he was always super prepared for sure. That's one thing, and he was really intense, right? Like it, he, he took what he did seriously, and I think that he had a, you know, not that other coaches don't, but he was the one of the only first and 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 few coaches that I had that was like, he seemed to me to be what an NHL coach should be. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how yeah. to describe that, right? Like, but yeah. He, yeah, he was, and you know, works and stuff, and like for sure, he, you know, his his cynicism, and he, you know, there was an arrogance a bit to him. But like, as far as like from a hockey standpoint, like I thought that he knew his stuff. I knew that he was intense. You kind of knew what you were going to get with him, and uh, and he understood the game really well. Like, there's lots of things I could say that were, you know, definitely very positive about Babs. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. He, um, you know, he he had this kind of two sides to him where you felt like, I mean, at least personally, I felt like I could, I could go up and talk to him about something, but you knew you couldn't hang around too long and waste his time. Like to your point, it was business. You know, we're all here to win. That was the goal. And so what are you doing? Like, how are you, how are you pulling the ship forward with the rest of us to help us win? And, uh, and I appreciate that. Like I, we were all there to win. So it, 
you know, it was great for the period that you're together for World Juniors. Would it be the right approach over the course of a season? I, I don't know. I'm not a coach, but um, I mean, it worked wonders in in, yeah. in our scenario. That's awesome. You had to play with Danny. I still keep in touch with Danny. What a great human being he is. Assistant GM now in Philadelphia and a phenomenal hockey player. Um, and I was so thankful that he actually. I don't know if you know his story with that, but I think he tried out three times before the time he made it. Like, I think he was asked as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old, 18-year-old, and then he oh, finally right. made it as a 19-year-old. Um, so the fact that he got to play and when won his gold medal, I thought was great because I think he deserved it probably even before he got it there. But yeah. um, what a year, though, dude. Like, holy smokes, making Toronto out of camp um, and then, you know, winning the OHL championship, gold medal. Like, how... How is that whole? I, I, I guess you, you says it shows you played twelve games there, thirteen games for Toronto. So that would have been all at the start of the year. Did yep. they? Did you ever get to a spot where they said to get a place, or were you living in a hotel the whole time during that? Period? No, I was I was living with my parents. <laughs> I, I'm born and raised in Toronto, so we didn't live that far from Maple Leaf Gardens, and uh, so yeah. It, in retrospect, I mean that's hysterical, but at the time, I didn't think, <laughs> I didn't think anything of it. I was like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> and so i would have guys like uh if we lived close to us you know guys like larry murphy like picking me up to you know drive me to practice and stuff which is just you know so surreal and bizarre right. but um yeah so i played 13 games with them i think uh that at the beginning of the season i was in and out of the lineup I how did play. it go like how did it go how would you describe those 13 games i thought i, I was happy with the way i played um to be honest um, yeah Obviously, it's a whole different level of intensity and professionalism, um, but I I felt comfortable to be honest. Yeah. Uh, and you know, they they told me they just they wanted me to have more ice time, which uh, I totally got from a development perspective. And so they said, "This is this is the game plan. You know, you're going to play World Juniors if you make the team." go back to Oshawa, play a lot of hockey, and then, you know, come back to camp next year and, and we'll see how it goes. And, you know, maybe you'll be more permanent here. And so that made a lot of sense. Um, and that was under, that was under Cliff Fletcher. And so, uh, you know, that, what a year, what can you say? Yeah. It was unbelievable. That is wild. Yeah. Cause we have that connection too. I mean, Cliff was the one who traded for me. Right. And then Cliff got fired that year. I don't know if I was a part of that fire or not, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I got traded to the deadline two months later. He was gone. Then, uh, you know, Mike Smith came in, and, and that was a whole different ball. And it would have been for you, too, because, yeah. I mean, you were a Cliff Fletcher draft pick, you know, and I was a Cliff Fletcher trade. And um, Mike Smith didn't seem to want to have much to do with anything that was a part of that era um, and, and made it qu quite quite known. So that was that was an interesting environment for you and I to be trying to trying to play in. Uh, reflecting on that team, where is he? Like, those two teams, like, it's so funny because, you know, in – on, on my platform and when I'm, you know, sharing stuff on social discussions that I choose to have, like one of the ones recently has been about like the puzzle pieces of like putting together an NHL roster, right? And and uh, and how it's not necessarily the best players that actually go to the NHL, right? Like it's it's different guys, it's different pieces. And, yeah. and I think like our time in St. John's might be like a totally perfect example of that. Like, because when I think of the best players that I play with in St. John's, the two names that come to mind for me are Lonnie Bahanas mm -hmm. and Brandon Comper. Yep, I agree. Both of who had very limited, inconsequential NHL careers. Yeah. And then we have Sean Thornton, Kevin Adams, and 
Nathan Dempsey, I think, were the three then that probably played the most games. And and taking nothing away from the Sean, you know, Thority, he's been a yep. guest on here, and I mean, he's he's two cups and had an amazing career, yep. and um, you know, and Demmer too. Like, what a what an amazing conversation that was. For those of you listening right now who didn't listen to Nathan the Nathan Dempsey interview, like, holy smokes, uh, God almost brings a tear to my eye right now but like the what he made of himself at like you know from 25 on the career that he had and and adzi too right gm now of the buffalo sabers but like i wouldn't have considered them the best players there you know in in any capacity right like but adzi found his mark you know in what he did well uh he played a third line fourth line role as pretty pretty much his whole career Demmer stepped in and like filled filled those minutes that that you could as a five or six guy uh, in an, uncon- an unconventional way because he wasn't a big physical guy, but he was able to eat minutes and penalty kill and and grow his game and and then Thority just stepped in and, and actually improved as a player along the way so much you know that like it made himself relevant. Um, yet where's Lonnie Bahanas and where's Brandon Convery? So like is that your kind of memory of of, of that as well? Like that yeah. you maybe thought should go on didn't and others did. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I'd never seen anyone shoot the puck like like Lonnie Bahanas, and uh, you know, Convery was just lightning fast and an epic goal scorer. Uh, but yeah, um, I, I don't know the specifics of their circumstances, but um, I spent more time with you know Thornton, uh, Kevin Adams, and Nathan. And uh, the one thing that's consistent across all their stories is just like that work ethic and. You know, I think specifically about uh, you know Kevin Adams and, and finding where you fit. You know, back to our earlier topic. You know, he came out of college. You know, he was a prolific goal scorer, and he came to St. John's. We had great guys who you know could put the, the puck in the net. You know, better than he could at that time, and so he found his role. You know, as like you said, the, the third, fourth line kind of uh, centerman, penalty killer, utility man. Nathan was the same way. He could, he could kill penalties. He could quarterback a, a power play. He'd always make that first great pass. Thirty. I played against Thirty in, in the OHL, and um, you know he. I think he came to hockey relatively late, and you know he he was still learning to skate in the OHL. But he would always show up. Like you knew if Sean's gonna be if Sean's playing, like you're gonna you're probably gonna have to fight him. <laughs> and you might he might lose or you might lose, but you know he's gonna show up and. And like you said, he just he kept showing up every day and working on his skills and getting better and making himself effective and finding out you know where he fits in and how he, how is he going to help the team. And so those guys are really you know inspirational to they should be to all hockey players in terms of you know figuring out you know where you fit and, and having the work ethic and just sticking with it. And uh, yeah, kudos to them. What fantastic careers. Yeah, no kidding. And I forgot even talked forgot about Smitty. Like his playing career wasn't wasn't that great. But then there's Smitty, an NHL head coach now, DJ, right? Like right. that's actually nuts. Those guys, and we have a we have a GM and and a head coach from that team uh, that that are now still very very involved in the NHL. Um, yeah, pr- pretty pretty wild stuff. And then Diesel too. Like Diesel was a guest on the program too. Him losing his eye, yeah. it just shows. I mean, even me, like I led. I was leading the. I led the AHL in goals that year when I was there with you. Like. At 20, at 21 years old, like at 42 before I got traded and scored five when I got uh, when I left for the eye, uh, almost had 50 goals there. And like, I don't know, right? It's like, what do you and th- that's the thing for me. It was like you knew what you were supposed to be or what they wanted you to be. And I wasn't sure what like looking back now is like I could have penalty killed for them if they wanted me to. 
You know what I mean? Like I, I, I was fast enough and physical enough and big enough to just run around and hit guys if they wanted me to. But like that, this, that communication of like, this is what we want from you. Right. It's very hard to obviously go from an AHL goal scorer to be now an NHL goal scorer. You know, like that's a, the, you're taking, you know, whose spot are you taking? You're taking Sergei Berzan's spot or you're taking right. whoever's right. Like, so that's a pretty tough transition. And usually you have to find a way in, which would be, you know, in, in a lower role and being able to P PK or do whatever, like a Kevin Adams style. But if it's never asked of you, I mean, it's hard to think that you're supposed to do that too. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, but, I, mean? you know I, I do think about your circumstances. You, you could do it all. Like you, I didn't realize you put up those types of numbers, but I knew you, you were, you know, lethal around the net. Um, you were always tough. Like I didn't want to, I wouldn't want to mess with you if I was, you know, playing against you and uh, you were fast. So you could, you know, as long as you were committed to it, you could, you could, you know, kill penalties as well. And so that's, uh, you know, having that kind of balance and that kind of dynamism across the different, you know, facets of the game, it's pretty rare. How do you bring that forward? I don't know the answer to that. Uh, right. That's a tougher question for sure. Yeah. Um, but again, communication, you know, if you can figure out a way to, you know, put your hand up uh, at the right time. If uh, if the opportunity presents itself, you know, put your hand up. And what's the worst that can happen? They say no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And Kevin Adams, actually, I mean, if I, I won't remember, obviously, verbatim, but in Toronto, so in the same environment we were in, but he had a very different experience. Like Mike Bilberry took him aside, he said, at the one camp or whatever the scenario was, and, and like, pointed out Matt Sundin and whoever else was on the ice at the time. And he was like, do you think you're going to take his spot? You know, and he was like, no, you know, and, and he's like, well, like, anyways, it was a nice way of him saying like, you work on your face-offs, work on like, work on the things that are going to allow you to get into the league. Right. Because you're not going to take his, his role, you know, like this isn't going to be for you. And, and so, and Adzi, I mean, credit to him because that's totally who he is. Right. Like, give me a job and I'll do it. Yeah. Like he owned it. Like he went and worked on faceoffs and he worked in his PK and like, you know, and he ne not necessarily forgot about his offensive instincts, but that was what he was okay doing that. Right. And that's amazing. Right. And a lot of guys aren't willing to make, the, make those commitments, uh, but at least someone told him to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's nice too. Right. Okay. Now I have a job. Now I have a role. And I think for athletes or anyone in anything, right. Any type of business at all, just, just tell me what the expectations are and what the roles are. And then I can step into it and rock, rock knock it out of the park, hopefully. Right. Like that's yeah. a, that's a good thing. So I do like that with hockey. Now it does seem like the communication level is much higher, um, which is good. Right. Because uh, you can only, you can only do so much trying to figure it out on your own all the time. And I think that was kind of where we were, we were stuck with it most of the time, but um, yeah. good times there, man. Like totally good times. Uh, I'm Danny Markoff is on my hit list. He says uh, apparently he's getting divorced right now and um, and he needs some time before he before he's going to come on as a guest. But it's not going to be a riot. You're going to have to tune back in for Danny Markoff. You, give me your best Danny Markoff story. Do you remember any? Uh, <laughs> probably not. I want to repeat. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, talk about a gritty guy. Danny was always, you know, super gritty. You know, even in practice, he'd drive you nuts because he'd be he'd be going, you know, a thousand percent and trying to take your head off. So, uh, um, and so, while smelling like cigarettes and booze at the same time. That's right. That's God, right. Yeah. That guy lived like he lived the way he played. Like it, it, that's that's one of those guys that I would say like that's how you best describe him. If anyone is a hockey fan and was a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, and you watch Danny Markov play hockey because like what was he? One hundred and sixty-five pounds, soaking wet, like. 
Oh, he's tiny. He was tiny. And he would knock. He would just throw his body at shots, at people, at anything. Yeah. Right, like just yeah. relentless out there. You'd have to shoot him to stop him, and uh, and that was what he was like off the ice too. Exactly the same way, I think. Yeah, he was wild. Yeah, he's missing teeth, and he was out all night, and then we show up, and you know, yeah, go dive head first through the boards, like no yeah. problem. No problem. Um, yeah, that, there were some characters back then. It was it was a different world. It was that was like old school slap shot type of hockey back then. It was a wild world, and I tell people some of the stories of stuff that happened. They don't believe me because they they can't believe that stuff like that actually happened. And, were you there for that bar brawl in um, on that Newfoundland trip, that exhibition trip? Were you there then? I don't think so, no. Okay, so you might have been up with me. I just missed it. Like, I was in Toronto still at the time, Jeez. and uh, and Danny was back, and, and Thority was there, and Bird Dog oh, was there. I remember and, hearing about that. That was right yeah. after training camp, I think. Yeah, it was right after training camp. They were on yeah. that exhibition series through the, through the, through the rock and all those right. little – Little it was town. Gander or something, or yeah. Some- so, anyways, well, I, I won't get you to because I wasn't there. I wanted to hear your version of it, but that's supposed to be one of the all-time Danny Markoff like starting things off stories, like that turns <laughs> into like a slap shot style bar brawl. <laughs> my gosh! Thank God I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Like nothing good is coming from that. <clears throat> oh man, but yeah, that Lonnie Bahanas, and uh, well, I think we'll, we'll cut. But I just like he's one of those ones, and Brandon too. I'm still buddies with. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that he's not returning my texts anymore. I don't know what happened to him, but me, Connor, no. and I used to be pretty good, pretty good buddies. I'm gonna have to try and reach out to him again because I think he'd be amazing on this show too. I'd love to talk with him, Lonnie as well. But God, Lonnie could play, man. Hey, like, and the weird part with him is, and Diesel and I talked about him a little bit, Mark Dale, when he was on, but like. He succeeded every time he went up at the NHL level, and especially that one year with Toronto. Like, he left mm-hmm. us. He went up and, like, almost single-handedly, and I, I say that, like, for real, like, got the got the Leafs into the second round. Yeah. Um, like, he was making plays happen, scoring goals, like, without other guys helping him out, like, m- being a big league player, and never to be heard from again almost. Yeah, like, I don't know what happened to him. I don't. I, don't. I, I do remember that. Like, he was he was dangerous from all over the ice. He was, he was a – a nightmare for defensemen because he, yeah. he was small, he was shifty, and he could he could just shoot a cannon from anywhere. And effortless, right? Like his game was so easy for him. Yeah. Like it, it just seemed like it was at least. But yeah. anyways, man, well, I really appreciate all your <clears throat> honesty, um, vulnerability. Uh, that's such a weird word, vulnerability. But I like using it now because yeah. – I think it's so important. Like even like, yeah, I'm, I'm a mental performance coach for the Salmon Arm Silverbacks out here. And I've used that word with them, right? With these teenage, tough, gladiator style guys. And I'm like, the more vulnerable you can be with each other. And I don't mean that in like a, you know, sunshine and rainbows kind of way, but like, like honest, right? Have discussions that you want to have and be honest about those discussions. Like that's vulnerable, right? And if you do that, like that, not only does it allow you to get out of your own head, whatever that thing is, but allows you guys to connect in different ways, right? To have real conversations and to, and to grow together. So when I say that word for you, I just mean that. Like you're just authentically saying what you feel and what you went through. And a lot of people um, choose the opposite, right? And we still want to go in protect mode and we still want to, you know, do these things. So thanks for sharing that. I think that's amazing. I think the, uh, the more we can share stories like that, uh, not only does your experience then uh, work for you, but your experience can work for the people who are listening here now. So, well, I mean, I wasn't always like that for sure. It's only in the kind of the last few years that I've been kind of opened up about it, and, and that's just a lot of kind of processing uh, internally. And but you know, I'm, I'm such a fan of what you're doing there, and you know, 
engaging people and having these, you know, creating a, you know, an outlet for these types of conversations to happen. I mean, that's how, that's how it starts. And, and, you know, when I was, you know, DMing with you and I said, you know, if, if we can help maybe one kid, you know, maybe get his head on straight or, or just help him, you know, excel even further from where he is, then I, I'd be more than happy to share. So uh, hopefully there is a kid out there that, and, you know, through our experiences and our thoughts that we've you know, helped them a little bit. Oh my gosh. I, I think there will be for sure. I, I think the more people that, that understand that support uh, works, you know, like and support is, I, I don't even like, I like to choose my words. I don't know if that's the right word, but like, I call it like a team, like have a team, like a high performance team. Like, I mean, that can be mom and dad, that can be your coach. I mean, that's whatever, whatever it is for you. But like, think of that inner circle, right? Like who's around you and what type of things are, uh, are you filling yourself up with, right? Like what type of things are, are, are you growing with? And, um, and yeah, I mean, for you to say that, you know, to, to be so eloquent with what you said there with, with, with the profound impact that, that your relationship had with the, with the sports psychologist that you, that you, you know, were seeking out. I mean, it's, it's awesome because I think, I still think that there is like a stigma for parents and for players uh, about what that is and who needs it or who doesn't, you know, uh, there's just a world out there unless you've been through it or yeah. been exposed to it. That is so massively beneficial, and and if you even want to look at it from a high performance standpoint, a competitive advantage, you know, yeah, like, yeah, like to, to to not explore it seems absolutely ridiculous to me. So, um, yeah, awesome. Thanks for sharing that, and and uh, and yeah, our parallels are, are, are pretty unique and uh, and cool at the same time. So, where's I really appreciate your time. Thanks for connecting. Let's keep this. Uh, let's keep our relationship going. Sure. Um, really nice to see you again and uh, and yeah thanks for sharing with everybody here today yeah well, thanks for having me well there you have it another interview in the books Mr. Jeff Ware if you are still listening where is he um, solid stuff man really solid stuff I really appreciate you coming on uh, first of all I really appreciate you being willing to go where you went and to share what you did and uh, I think that we're all better for it. So uh, for those of you still listening, um, like what a, I, I just love the, the, what we covered there. I love the topics. I love, I love the fact that he was able to so perfectly say, you know, what was going on for him, you know, as a 20 year old playing pro hockey on Newfoundland in Newfoundland, like it's, there's a lot there. And so if, if you're a parent or if you're a player listening and, and there is something going on for you right now, there's something happening. There's something, there's something happening off the ice or even some dynamic on ice that is in your head, right? It, it's in your thoughts. Uh, and it can get the best of us if it's not managed properly, if it's not directed properly. We often look six inches in front of our face and we can't see what's a little bit down the road, even around the corner or around the next bend. And, and having somebody to share what it is you're going through um, helps. Uh, if you're not willing to go there, find someone like me or find a sports psychologist or a buddy. Use a journal. Write it down. Get stuff out of your head. Uh, that is like both of those are, are very, very highly recommended by me. Um, and when you're doing that, when you are writing, when you are engaging, when you are talking, try and build your skill of self-awareness. Try and build 
that idea of what is really happening here and what is really in front of me that I can help myself with. One of the things when I'm working with private clients uh, or anyone for that matter is I challenge them to ask different questions, right? So the questions you ask yourself are the ones you're going to find answers to. And oftentimes when we get stuck in these downward spirals or we start feeling sorry for ourselves or victimized um, or we're in a slump or things aren't going well, we're asking ourselves questions that are getting answers to questions we really don't want to have. It's like, why am I not scoring? Why, why am I on the fourth line? Why does the coach not like me? Our brain's a brilliant instrument, right? But it's not... It's not this thing that just knows exactly what it's supposed to do all the time. Like it requires direction. And so it takes the direction given. So when you ask questions like that, it gives you answers to those questions. And those questions, those answers aren't necessarily helping you. All they're doing is perpetuating the situation that you're in. So if you're finding yourself in a situation that's not great, that's not ideal, ask yourself questions that you're going to get answers that are going to help you, right? Like where's the opportunity in this moment? What can I learn about myself right now? Is there support that I need to help me get myself out of this? What support could I use? What things can I do tomorrow to help myself? Right? Those are questions that are going to give you different answers. And they completely shift the narrative of the story in front of you. And that's one thing that Jeff obviously has been able to do over the years is to be able to now look back on that and to be able to unpack some different meanings to those areas that affected him so significantly uh, back when he was playing. And even now in life situations, he is able to understand the moment better. And when I work with athletes, that is one thing I talk about is closing the gap. So all of you parents or players out there, you, you understand closing the gap as being this hockey term, right? The gap between the forwards and the, and the defensemen, and you want to keep that gap tight and keep it, um, keep it snug so there's not room for the forwards to move. But it applies in your, in your mental thoughts too, in the stories that you're telling yourself about the events, the events that, are, that you are living in. If you can close the gap between this perceived negative event and how you find an opportunity in that event or how you find a positive way to move forward through it, that is helping you, right? Then we're not getting into these big, deep valleys and these down, downward spirals. So the, the better our ability, our mental ability to close the gap, what I call mental agility, uh, the better. So anyways, there's a little um, mindset coaching for you on the heels of, of Jeff's amazing story. Uh, and if you're still here, uh, thanks, for, thanks for listening. And until next time, play hard.